of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, none of the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, again, thank you. Thank you for your great, your great, awesome, loving gift of salvation in and by and through your Son and his finished work, and we praise your holy name for it, Father. Pray now that you be glorified in our midst this morning through the preaching of your word, and that your word go out and build up your saints and build up the sheep, Father. And if there be any sheep that are here or hear this message that are still lost, Father, you use it to open up their eyes and soften their hearts that they be bought into the fold and be saved, Lord. Lord, you tell us that your word does not go out void, but it re that it accomplishes that purpose for which you sent it. And that is what we are believing for right now, that you would, that you just perform your promise. Have your way with us, Lord, and be glorified amongst your people today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, good to have us uh, gathered together this morning once again with our Bibles in our hands. It is such a glorious privilege that God again would be so gracious to us and uh, give us his word. Amen. And that uh, when the preacher stands up, uh, the elder stands up, it's a good thing to have some, the word of God, amen, that never changes. And um, it's an interesting, interesting thing, history. And uh, this morning, Brother Dean was uh, once again teaching on church history. And it's quite amazing as you look and you go back. I mean, you go way back in church history. You'll see these battles that just continue. They rage on and on. It's a, it's a stunning thing. It's over the deity of Christ. There was uh, a couple of men who stood in an era of time and said, No, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died. He went to the grave. And he rose again from the dead. Amen. And so that battle's going on and on. There's been battles over the word of God. What is the word of God? Is it er inerrant? Is it perfect? Is it all sufficient? I mean, these fundamental things, brethren, they go on and on. The battles have waged on and on. And I don't know if you've noticed recently, and I'm deviating, obviously, from the book of Acts. Normally, we go verse by verse. But I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we do indeed live, brethren, in a post-Christian America. It is a most stunning thing to consider what's happening. And it's interesting as we look at what's taking place in our own country. You realize that it's happened before and the battles raged on before. And it's an amazing, stunning thing that we come across. Let me show you here this morning just how far away, and I don't know if uh, I'm sure some of the brethren were at the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the conference over the, week, over the weekend here, the homeschool conference. It was so good, brethren, to see hundreds of families, hundreds who have come with their children to hear the Word of God and understand the Word of God and teach the Word of God and know that there's others, brethren, 
out there who are indeed battling for the souls of their children, for the souls of those whom they are around. Let me just show you how far we've really fallen. Let me give you a couple of quotes here this morning. And again, understanding that it's not that I don't think this is going to happen to our nation, because I believe it is. And again, it's not because I'm smart or wise. It's because historically, every nation that's ever turned its back on the principles of God, this has happened, brethren. It's not the question of whether or not it's going to happen. It's whether or not we are prepared as the people of God. Are we prepared, and Dean used the term this morning, the free church. That's unheard of in history, brethren. The free church that we've enjoyed in our nation for so long without persecution for the most part, without any kind of stuff like that's all changing, brethren. That's all changing. And you look at our children. You look at your grandchildren. And you say, are we laying a glorious and sound foundation from the word of God for them to stand in? Because I'm telling you, the attacks are stunning. Brethren, think of this. Let me, well, let me read this couple of quotes, and then we'll see just how amazingly far we've fallen. Listen to what George Washington said. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind, and let the world be filled with the knowledge of thee and thy son, Jesus Christ. For it is impossible, he said, to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Now think of this, brother, and how far we have fallen from that quote. And if you understand the life of George Washington, if you understand history at all, the miracles that God performed as he raised him up from a young child, as he used him to fight, I mean, it's just an amazing thing to behold. But, brethren, more than that, he was indeed a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God used him, amen, for, to help establish this glorious nation of ours. Listen to what Thomas Jefferson said. Now, remember, brethren, I know there's kind of rewritten history out there that everybody thinks every, all of our founding fathers were Christians. They weren't. I hope you understand that, that they were not all. Benjamin Franklin was not. Thomas Jefferson was not. He was indeed a deist. But listen to how our culture has changed, how we have slidden so far down in the proverbial uh, cesspool, if you will. Listen to what Jefferson said. Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when they be removed from their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that their liberties are a gift from God? Listen to what this man was saying. Children, listen. Brothers, listen to what these men, these great men believed. The Bible, he said, is the cornerstone of liberty. A student's perusal of the sacred volume will make us better citizens. Amen? And so, again, here's one who was a deist, and yet listen to how he spoke of the word of God. Listen how they speak of the word of God today, those who are not believers. Blasphemers. I mean, it's a stunning, amazing thing to see the slope that we have certainly fallen into. Jefferson continued, I hold the precepts of Jesus as delivered by himself to be the most pure, benevolent, and sublime which have ever been preached to man. I adhere to the principles of the first age. Again, brethren, we see our founding fathers, even those who were not Christians, amen, held to some biblical principles, some biblical truths. Why? Because they understood, brethren, that the family, let's just for a moment, the family is the structure you understand of a nation. As the family goes, so too does a nation. When mom and dad, the biblical concept and understanding and construct by God, when that is done away with, look what we have. Look at what we have, brethren. Take a look around us. A stunning thing. It really is. 
to understand the high percentage of children who do not have a mom and a dad together. God's ideal. Look at what we're reaping. Look at what we are sowing. As we've, well, we've sown, look at what our nation is now reaping. It is a stunning thing. But before all is lost, again, I want us to turn. I, I, I understand. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I also believe in man's responsibility. Amen. We know that God is going to bring about his glorious purposes, his glorious will. But there's also men that he is in. And when I say that as a general, I'm talking about men and women that he has placed in an era and a time to live. Who also, brethren, have responsibility. We have a responsibility, much like Paul. Think of the era that Paul lived in. Think of what was taking place. And that's really the surrounding of our text this morning. The same thing, the foundation that Paul had, is the same foundation that we must have in a post-Christian America. Because even if America goes, the gospel will not. The, the, the gospel will always march on. That is our foundation. This is where we must rest ourselves, brethren. I had someone at our home yesterday. And she was kind of, sort of, I guess, uh, Wendy, distraught a little bit. Well, I don't know what to do with this, and I don't know what to do with that. And I said, what God is doing, he's bringing us all that we will learn what we should do, and that is get on our knees and pray. Amen? Pray and ask God for wisdom. Pray and ask, seek his wisdom and his face in this stuff. The gospel is the answer, brethren. The gospel is the answer to the ills of our nation to the ills of the world, to the ills of everything. When a man or woman or child is converted by the Lord Jesus Christ, he is changed forever. You won't have to worry, brethren, about walking down the street, trying to figure out, taking your glasses, going like this, trying to figure out if that's a man or a woman coming. What is that? It's a stunning thing how we've fallen, brethren. Again, Paul lived in a most wicked era of time in history. And yet his whole thought, his whole concept, his whole understanding was that Jesus Christ is indeed the answer to the ills that we have. Amen? We got some Baptists in here? Amen, amen. This is really, brethren, and I know that sounds simplistic, but it's not. It is something that has held through all of history. It is something that is held, and you go back again, Brother Dean's not in here right now, but you look at church history, and there was always men who were standing there with the gospel, with the Bible in their hands, preaching Christ, and that is what saved the generations. And brethren, that's what's going to save our generation, the grandkids and the kids coming after us and your kids coming after that. Whether or not America exists as it does, as sad as it is, what a great nation God had given us, amen? What an amazing place this has been. It is gone, brethren, unless God sends a revival. You know where he sends it? Again, I'm chasing rabbits a little bit. God always sends a revival. You know where at? Not out there. Do you know where he sends it? Right over here in our own hearts, in the believers, in the churches, those who are Christians. To revive us again, brethren, to be strong preachers of the gospel, to be those who are faithful to God and clinging on to his glorious principles and precepts that is indeed our hope and hence so this morning as i quote psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 to you this morning do not fear brethren do not get too down and out because listen to this brethren listen to what we sing it don't we isaac and connor you guys that lead the music He's, the bible says there in psalms 121 it says i will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help 
Amen. This is our help this morning, brethren. This is where we must be. Again, at the convention yesterday and on Friday. Just, it was so good, again, to see so many godly brothers and sisters there with their families listening to the preaching. And by the way, can I just, I'm going to sidetrack anyway, so I just might as well do it right now. The man who spoke, incredible, just a, a, a good, good speaker, amen. He was one of the pilots that was supposed to be on one of the airplanes that flew into the towers, Amen. Stephen Scheibner was his, is his name. And he was supposed to be on there. In fact, he took that flight. He went on, and there's a 30-minute window, and he could get bumped by other pilots. And lo and behold, he goes on, and he takes the flight, and he got bumped by another pilot with just minutes to go within this window. And uh, so the other pilot got on the airplane, and he, of course, he was the one that they were flown into, into one of the towers then. Amen. And he wrote this book. And just a wonderful thing. And he uses it as a gospel, which is a glorious thing. He wrote this book. He took my seat. And he takes that and he, he, he takes the gospel then. And we see how Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, has taken our place. If you're saved this morning, that substitutionary death of Christ. What, a, what an amazing thing. But that's our hope. We look and we turn our eyes to the hills. We turn them up to God. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is the one who will indeed guide and direct us as we go. And our text this morning couldn't be just any more orthodox. Can I say that? Any more glorious than the gospel of Christ. And it's interesting in our text as we look and we see the different reactions that people have to the gospel of Christ. Again, Paul preaching in an era and a dispensation of time just like ours just as evil, probably more evil, more gods, more whatever you want to say. And there was Paul right there. What was his concern? What was he concerned with? He was concerned with preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a world who was going to hell, who was probably way worse than what we have seen or experienced yet. But again, brethren, it's not whether. It's, it's whether we are prepared for what's coming. Are we ready? Do we really understand what it was like to live where Paul lived. Do we really understand it? You go to our homes, we have warm, I, I, I just can't tell you how, what, how, what a blessing we've been, what it's been for us. And I am very, very, very convinced in my own heart of hearts. Just again, not because I'm smarter than anyone else, better than anyone else. I just know what happens when one turns away from God. That's what happens. What we're seeing happens. It just does. Hence our text this morning, if you will, it's interesting here that Paul takes this text, and again, he simply declares, and uh, if you will, points us again to the only hope, to the only hope that there is. Amen? It's not me. It's not my family. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We heard again, again, over and over again in, that, in the conference yesterday, especially when you're looking for a, a husband or a wife. You want to know the first thing when you look for a husband or a wife? Isn't that right, brother? I, I know you guys were there. I saw you there. Uh, well, I think you ran basically most of it. Uh, thank you very much, by the way. Um, but listen, you know what he was saying? Scheibner kept saying over and over again, it's not what they look like. It's whether they love Christ more than they love you. Does, does the girl love Christ more than she loves you? Uh, does the man love Christ more than he loves her? When that's the case, brethren, and uh, I know I could get Nicole, I, we could get Nicole and get him up here and tell us about how great things have gone, their relationship, because they both love Christ more. And that's what you see, a great example. Is there trouble? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're men, right, right, Peter? You know, there's women that we think differently. But when Christ is above all, 
you work through it. It's a glorious relationship. It's a beautiful thing. And that's just the way it is. And Paul here again draws our attentions to, to this glorious truth. To this glorious truth of the gospel. Look what he says there as he draws our attention again to, if you will, the old bloody cross. Amen. Isn't that a glorious thing to think about? The old bloody cross, that place where Christ died for sinners. Amen. Where he shed his blood and lived a perfect life, shed his blood and died and went to the grave and rose again victorious over all. Again, brethren, let me point you this morning. Turn your eyes to him. Look upon him. Look upon Christ who is victorious. Look what Paul does here, if you will, as he enters in now to the preaching of the old bloody cross. Look at verse number 17. He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, what Paul does here is he takes off as he begins to launch this, this central preaching of the cross. He, he makes a doctrinal statement very clear to us here this morning, right off the bat, brethren. And, of course, we know the aberrant teaching on baptism. Baptism saves, the water saves, and you just pour a little water on someone and they're saved, even if they're, you know, that kind of a thing. But Paul here literally says that the order of his first importance, and, again, he's not by any means degrading baptism. He's not by any means saying it's not important, but he's giving us an order. He's saying that it is the gospel, the preaching of Christ that comes first. That has to come first because if you look there, if you would, in verses 14 through 16, you'll see that he mentions someone who he's baptized. So Paul says in verse number 14, he says there, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus or Gaius. So the idea here is not that it's not important. The idea is here is that the first and foremost thing that Paul was concerned about living in his, in his time was that the gospel is preached. This is the importance, the centrality of the gospel. This is what Paul is pointing us to. It really is quite an amazing thing. In fact, uh, Paul, as we know in Scripture, brethren, the gospel was something that was central to everything he did. All of the epistles he wrote, all of the books he wrote. Let me just tell you the number of times that the gospel, that Paul mentions the gospel. He mentions it here in, in 1 Corinthians 9 times. He mentions in Romans 13 times. He mentions in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9 times. The Galatians 11 times. Four times in the book of Ephesians. Seven times in Philippians. So on and on it goes. This was, again, Paul's central theme. This is what was not going to save the country, but the souls within the country. Amen? This is the important thing. And I want you to see what he does. He, he does an apologia. He actually, in the book of Philippians, he uses that word that's used there, an apologia of the gospel. It is defending the gospel. And this, brethren, is what we must continue to do as believers in the Lord Jesus. Look at Philippians chapter 1. I just want you to see this. He uses this word apologia twice. He, again, is giving a defense. In the, again, the time that he was living, the corruptness, all of those things, he again centered back around to the gospel. Because when men's hearts are changed, when their hearts are changed, their minds are changed, they do as George Washington and as Thomas Jefferson believed. They become good citizens. They become good Christians. They become good workers. They become all of those things that Christ makes one when he regenerates them and makes them new. Look at, look at first, uh, Philippians chapter 1. Look there if you would at verse 
number three. I want you to see this again. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Listen, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Verse number seven. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, in as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation, what? Of the gospel. There it is again. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He's saying this is the apologia. This is what we are doing. This is why we're preaching. This is why we do what we do. He is defending the gospel, the apologia of the gospel. He says it again in the same chapter. Look there, if you would, at, uh, at verse number 17. He says it again. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Again, brethren, this is what Paul's main mission was. And I know you get sick of me saying it. You, get, you probably get tired of it. Pastor Mike's like a broken record. He just keeps talking about this stuff over and over again. Yes, because Paul talked about it over and over again. That's what saves a nation, not anything else. What we believe about the gospel, what we do with the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. I'm in the apology. I'm apologetically defending the gospel. This is what Paul did all through his ministry. Two times in the book of Colossians, seven times in 1 Thessalonians. Paul mentions the gospel in 1 and 2 Timothy and Philemon. He, all along the way. Do you see a pattern, brother? That's what I have to ask myself. When you see these things, is there a pattern? Yes, there's a holy, inspired, godly pattern. Because Paul knew. Paul knew. And we need to know. We've got to have it ingrained in our hearts and minds, brethren, that that is what is going to save us. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing can change a child. Nothing can change your heart. Nothing can change your mind. The gospel alone can change your heart and change your mind. This is where Paul spent his time. So the center of his religious affections obviously was the gospel. Now look back there if you would. And verse number 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse number 17 there, if you would. Look what he says as he is, again, led by the Spirit of God. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Brethren, Paul warns us all here, doesn't he? That we must be very vigilant. We must be very careful about what we preach concerning the cross. That it, if, if you will, loses its effect. That it loses the power. You know how it loses the power? Can I, can I tell you? Brethren, see, the opposite of what men think, as we're going to see here, men's wisdom is not God's wisdom. You realize that what men do is they try and soften the gospel. Do you understand that? They say to themselves, let's try and soften it a little bit. That way men will receive it. If we just make it more palatable, if we make it more understanding to them through men's words, men will accept it. No, brethren, that's not at all what we do. We stay and we stick to what the Bible says concerning the gospel. That's the power, and we're going to see that here, the power of God. This is where we want to be, brethren. We don't want to be in our own power. We don't want to be thinking about our own ways. We don't want to be thinking about our own thoughts and ways. What does God say? What does it say concerning this important matter, concerning the gospel? And it's so important. Look what he says there in verses 19 and 20. In fact, he addresses 
the disputers of those who were trying to soften the gospel, those who were trying to wiggle their way around the gospel and make it more palatable. Does that sound, does that sound uh, how should we say, does that sound familiar to anybody? That men would try and soften the gospel, that they would try and soften the message just so people would understand it better and that they would come to Christ better? No, they won't come to Christ. That, that's what I'm saying. The more you soften the gospel and you take away from the gospel, the farther away they are from Christ. Do you understand that? The more you stick and you preach the Lord Jesus Christ, they come to the real Christ. Not to that one that Paul wrote about, right? Another spirit, another gospel, another what, brother? Another Christ. When you preach the gospel as we see it here, and you're faithful to it, one by the power of God, comes to Christ. Their heart of stone is changed. Their mind is changed. That which is at enmity against God. And we do want to sometimes feel like we should, well, maybe I should just be a little, you know, I should soften this or that. Don't do it, brethren. This is what's happened. That's why churches today, and I'm going to pick on some of them, the big evils. That's why the big evangelical churches are full of people. They're full of them, but you know what they are? They're full of lost people. They're full of goats. Because they're zipping in on lines and they're doing all this crazy stuff versus just simply preaching the gospel, the gospel that saves, the gospel that Paul preached. Look at verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. There you go. Men's minds, brethren. That mind has to be changed by the gospel for them to understand. And we're going to see that here. That's the power of Christ. That's why when you... <coughs> Walk up to somebody nowadays, and I need to be very careful, very careful how I say this. It's an amazing thing. You can walk up to someone, and they can actually question whether or not they're a boy or a girl. Brethren, that's insanity. That is insane. You were born, born either a boy or a girl. It doesn't matter what you think. That's men's wisdom. I wish that kind of wisdom, you know, I wish I could identify as a billionaire. Amen. Uh, how come it doesn't work anywhere else except when it comes to the things that God created and instituted? Do you notice that? The family. It, they're attacking the family. They're attacking now your human being, whether or not you're a boy or a girl. Now it's gotten worse. We, we all get how evil can it get? Well, uh, one of our own high schools right in our own town here brothers and sisters, has a nice little kitty litter box in it for the Furbies, those who are identifying as cats or dogs. Where do you think that leads? Where do you think this goes? You want to know why you should homeschool your children? Let me just, well, there you go. There's one right there. Not to mention the responsibility God's given to us as parents in the first place to educate our children, whether it's reading, writing, arithmetic, and everything else spiritual. You're going to turn your child loose you're going to turn them over and say, well, they're going to be a light in there. They're going to be a light in there. It's dark in there. Listen, you can't even be a light in there. You're going to send some child that's 12 years old in there and try and be a light in there? Are you insane? You are. You are. God has given us the glorious opportunity to train up our children, to teach them, to protect them from what? From that kind of nonsense that kind of unholy thinking that kind of ungodly living it's a stunning 
a stunning thing. But this is the disputer of the world. This is the wisdom of men. That's why they can say, well, I don't know. If you, I guess if you identify as an animal, we'll just put a litter box in there for you. Instead of saying, no, you're one of two things. You're a man or a woman. That's the way God created you. But see, brother, this is how far we've fallen. This is how far we've come. Because we have indeed, as a nation, over the last several generations, closed the Bible, closed the word of God, turned unto our own thinking, and this is what you get. Think of this, brethren. <laughs> and again, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just using it as a practical app. You look around in our own world, and you just from a financial situation that one is in, think of this for a moment. Four years ago, gas prices were a buck seventy-eight. Now they're five bucks a gallon. Diesel's six bucks a gallon. Inflation is through the roof. You can't find an egg. I mean, really? You know, they're nine bucks for an egg. Now think of this. It wasn't like that. But what did they vote for again? What did they vote for again? Not less of it, but more of it. More of it. That's reprobate. That, that, that's thinking, what is wrong? You can't think or reason. That's what reprobate means. You can't think or reason rightly or properly. And again, you look at our children <laughs> right here. You look at our children sitting here. Oh, brethren, what kind of world are they going to live in? Are they prepared? Are they ready? Have they been shod with their feet with the gospel? Are they ready to fight the war that we're having? I'm almost over it. I'll fight it till the end. But I think I lived in the greatest time in all of our nation. I think Wendy and I were talking about this. We wanted for nothing. Nothing. Our parents took care of us. When we were at home, we had a mom and a dad. What a beautiful thing. Hey, what a, what a glorious thing. My dad taught me how to work. Here you go, Mike. Here's how this works. See, it's, it's, and he wasn't even a Christian, but here's the biblical principle. When you work and you do something extraordinary, clean your room, you have to do well, you do something extraordinary, I'll pay you for it. What an amazing thing, children. What an amazing thing that that would be taught. Now you know what's taught? You people owe me something. Now listen, I'm not a racist, and you all know this. There's only one race. You realize that, right? We're different colors, but we're all one race, the human race, right? As a white privileged man, I did nothing to your relatives. You can't blame me. You can't hold me accountable. I did nothing. Now you got little cities all over the country now trying to figure out how they're going to pay back. And if you understand history, again, brother, please, history. They blotted it out. It's been done away with. You realize there's been more black slave traders than there was white ones. You know that, right? Do you realize that? Kamala Harris's own family had slaves. You don't hear that. All you hear about is me, you know, Pastor Mike over here living in his little house up north over here. What a racist and white privileged person I am. It's unholy, brother. That's what happens when you do away with history, when you do away with your statues. Somebody just said to me, isn't it amazing that President's Day went by? You, is everybody familiar with that? You know, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, you know, some of these great men, they weren't even mentioned. You don't even realize that it happened. They're taking away our history. They're taking down our statues. They're taking away our landmarks. Brethren, that is dangerous. That is a very dangerous thing to do. 
God forbade it, actually. You know, he forbade one from doing that, taking your landmark down. You can't do that. There's so many ramifications to that. But again, we see here Paul as he's talking about the preaching of the cross, how it's, how it's, how it's not men's wisdom. Men think differently than God does, as I've just illustrated. Look there at chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There it is again, brethren, the power of God. When you dampen the gospel, when you try and take away from it and soften it, you can't because it's the power of God that saves, not you, not me, and not what I say. It's the opposite. It has the opposite effect on the gospel. This is the thing I just don't understand. Look at verses 12 through 14 of chapter 2. Again, Paul addresses the issue. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Look at verse 14. But the natural man, that's who we're dealing with, brethren. When you were lost, you were a natural man. You didn't think on spiritual things. You didn't understand spiritual things. It was the gospel that God brought to you when he sought you out, when he drew you to the cross, when he saved you. He implanted that into you, the gospel of Christ. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Your mind was changed. Your heart was changed. You were a changed person. You became, actually, the Bible calls it a what? A new what? Creation. This is well, the wisdom of men. What we're seeing is the wisdom of men. And there's only one thing that can combat that, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ being preached and being faithfully held onto and cleaved onto. It's an amazing thing, brethren, when you consider that. Now, look at what Paul says, verse number 18, uh, back at 1 Corinthians. Look at verse number 18. Look at the, the, the word he uses here concerning how the world understands the gospel. And again, that's why they can stare at you when you go down to the, you're down preaching down in the street or you're out down at the Capitol down there preaching and you're preaching what is clearly biblical truths and they just stand there and they think you are crazy. It's funny, it's, it's the opposite, isn't it? They think you're the one that's crazy when in fact they are the ones that are crazy. They're the ones that are insane. The Bible uses that terminology. Look what Paul says here in verse number 18. He says this, for the preaching of the cross to them that perish, what? Is foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. There it is again, brethren, the power of God. What is it? The preaching of the old bloody cross. The preaching of a Savior who came from heaven, the eternal Son of God, came from heaven, put on flesh. He, if you will, was born of a virgin, amen, which he was. And he lived a perfect, sinless life, his whole life, every thought, every minute. I love to say that every second, every minute, every day, every week, every year. His thoughts were holy and pure always. His motives were holy and pure always. Ours aren't. But this is why he's Jesus Christ. This is why he's God in the flesh. Because he did indeed live that life that he would go to a cross, that he would die there, that he would shed his lifeblood for, for his people. Amen? And then that he would rise again from the dead and save them from their sins, from their foolishness, which is where we were all at at one time. That power of God. 
Look at verse 23 of that same text. Listen to how Paul again draws our attention to that. Look at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's that word power again. It's the power of God. That's our only hope. That is our hope. Our children sitting here. Our hope is we're raising them as parents. Our grandchildren who are here. The only hope they have, brethren, is for you and I to make sure that they have had the gospel preached to them, that they've seen us live it out, that we train them up in the admonition. Ephesians 6, right? We train them up in, in the admonition of the Lord. That's what we are to do. This is their only hope. Sending them out into the world without being prepared and without being trained, there is no hope because they will do what, every, what happens to everyone who goes out into the world. You know what that is? You remember what God told Israel to do? You remember what he told them to do over and over and over again? When you go into the land, which I'm going to give you. In fact, at one point, he took some bees and drove them out, remember? He drove them out, not all at once, but little by little by little he drove them out. And then Israel came in back behind him and God told him, don't you dare marry. Don't you dare interlope with them who we sent out or I'll tell you what's going to happen. What's going to happen is they're going to become what? A prick in your eye. They are going to affect you. They are going to affect you. And you know what, brethren? When you consider the Bible, and again, as a, as a Christian, the word of God, which is perfect and inerrant, and there are no contradictions, period. As a Christian, you look at the word of God and you go, oh, when God told them not to do that, they did it. Here's what happened. Well, guess what happened? Always. 100% of the time, brethren, every single time when God would tell him, don't mingle, don't do that, you know what happened? <laughs> Howard hates my, well, he, he used it here not too long ago. You know what happens? You think I'm going to affect them. No, you don't. You know who gets affected? You do. 100% of the time. Yes, look at the nation of Israel. Look what God told them. Don't mingle. What did they do? They mingled. Oh, I'll just, you know, I'm going to evangelize them. And we should evangelize. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is when your closest friends are lost, brothers, run. Run. Stay with your brothers and sisters. Stay with those who are saved, those who are like-minded. Now, yes, do we evangelize them? Yes. But we do not bring them into the inner circle like Israel did. And you know what happened? Every, go look. We don't have time. It's too, long, too, too short of a time. Go look. Every, br brothers, if I said to you that something happens 100% of the time when you don't do it, would you say, I'm not going to do that? 100% of the time when Israel disobeyed God, you know what happened? They were affected by them. And it wasn't long. Think of this, brethren, for a moment. Think of the impact that had on them. It wasn't long. They went from those who were following God to offering up their children in the fire of Moloch. Think of that for a moment. Oh, brethren, oh, my, my, we must be very careful. We must be very careful. We must watch our children very carefully, very closely. We must watch them and brood over them and take care of them. We must watch over one another. Amen? That's what we have to do. Or you will indeed go by the wayside, as they always did 100% of the time. Children, are you listening? When mom and dad are teaching you the Bible and they're, 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 they're speaking biblical principles to you. They're doing that because they love you. Because they know that what God says is right and true. Amen? I have one of my older daughters here who uh, at one time came and sought advice from me. 
And I gave her the advice. And it wasn't too much longer. She came back a couple months later. And she looked at me and said, Dad, you were right. I was wrong. And I said, no, no, no. It wasn't me that was right. It was God who was right. All I did was give you the godly teaching on that. God is always right. God is always right. Whether it's our grandchildren, we got grandparents here, whether it's our grandchildren, whatever it is, those principles must be taught, must be passed on down to generation after generation. Brethren, it is so important. Now look there, if you would, uh, again at chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. I want to read it again because that word power, it just keeps coming up. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You remember Romans chapter 1? We can all quote that together. Can we? 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Listen, brother, for it is written that the just shall live by faith. Where was that? Where did he quote that from? <laughs> Our just Habakkuk, the Old Testament, it's always by faith. It's always been by faith. That's the power of the gospel. This is what is going to save us as the nation crumbles down around us. Amen? It's not whether we have the nation. It's whether or not we have the foundation of Christ in our families and in our fellowship. That's what saves us. Nothing else does. It's an amazing thing. It really is. Now, let us kind of finish up and, 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 and uh, finish this up together. Now look at verse 21 there. Again, there's a phrase that he uses. Again, not one that men can comprehend, not one that a lost person can comprehend, but again, it's not whether or not we comprehend it rightly, it's whether or not we understand what God is saying, whether or not we understand that what God did pleased him. Look there, if you would, at verse 21. Look what it says. For after that, the wisdom of God, the world of God by wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Now, brethren, we don't have time. I'm, I'm quickly running out of time, but it's, 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 it's amazing. That word foolish, he uses it 11 times in 1 Corinthians, either foolish, foolishness, or fool. This is what he says. Now, when you preach the gospel and the Spirit of God is not drawing them and, and not opening their hearts to the gospel, it's going to be foolishness to them. Just like it was foolishness to you and I until God drew us to open our, our, our eyes and our hearts and our minds to understand what he was saying and preaching to us. Now, you think about this for a moment. That word pleased means to think well of, to approve, to think good of. Now, think of this, brethren. It pleased God to take the gospel and preach that. It was foolishness to the world, but that's God's way. This is his wisdom. It's not men's wisdom. Again, don't don't dilute the gospel. That is what saves because it pleases God when we preach the gospel as we see it in the scriptures. Now, I know I've got to finish, but I want to read Isaiah 53 together. Let's turn there in our Bibles. I want you to listen carefully again as uh, Brother Steve, just such a good testimony. He took my seat. 
But Christ took his place. Christ went to a place where, as Steve said, I wasn't qualified. I was qualified to fly an airplane, but I could never be qualified to go to a cross. I could never, I'm not qualified to pay for my own sins, and neither are you. But I want you to listen carefully. Listen, brethren, Isaiah, the great Old Testament prophet, he wrote these words. This is indeed a glorious picture, a glorious picture of Christ's substitutionary death. And I want you to see and listen carefully. Listen to verse number one. Who hath believed our report? Who, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, that, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. If you go up in 52, you'll see that he was beaten beyond recognition. His visage was marred, the Bible says, more than any other man. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Again, that's the unnatural man. That's the, un, that's the man that is not born again. That's their, re, that's their actual reaction to Christ. Unless the Spirit of God is opening their eyes and drawing them. They esteemed him not, just like I did. I, I tell that story all the time. We used to have company, and in our home, we had this huge Bible. And my mom, you know, back in the 70s, again, back in the 70s, I'm aging myself. But we got company coming over. We got to get the pledge, spray that Bible cover off, and clean it up nice so it looks good and it smells like pledge in the house. But it's interesting, isn't it? It isn't until God draws one, I'm wiping the cover of that Bible off, I had no concern about what was on the inside of those pages. Not until God drew me. Not until I went, whoa, oh, wait, okay, there's something in here. The word of God, the sword of the spirit is piercing my heart. Not then. I esteemed it not. I polished it off. It looked really nice. The company to come over, my mom was happy, and I was happy. It wasn't until the Lord Jesus Christ came, the Spirit of God came to where I was and drew me, opened my eyes, my heart, my ears, that I would hear this. Listen to this. Listen to what it says. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. There's the substitution. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Listen, verse 5. Listen to the number of times he says, our, 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 and we. That is the substitutionary death of Christ. Him taking your place, paying a debt you could not pay. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Look at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We can't even, brethren, think of this for a moment. Christ, who knew no sin. We don't even know what that is. We can't even begin to understand what it means not to know sin. We're born sinners. Our thoughts are sinful. Our actions, our motives. There's things that the Spirit of God reveals to us that only He can reveal. He goes into that place, but it's there. We can't begin to understand what it means for one who knew no sin to become sin for us. We can't begin to understand it. You know what we can do, though? We can glorify God that He did it. That He didn't leave us in our sin. And this is actually Isaiah, the great Old Testament prophet, telling us this is what he's going to do. Look at there. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. 
For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Now listen. And he made his grave with the wicked. Think of this, brother. The sinless son of God. And with the rich man, his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased God. Do you understand that, brother? It pleased God to do what he did. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, and he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, brethren, again, it pleased God when Paul was preaching to preach this, that the Lord Jesus Christ came, he died, he rose again from the dead. That's the gospel. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, right? I mean, we're going to read that for a closing verse, but think of that. This is the centerpiece of Paul's life. In a world that was crumbling and falling apart, nations were crumbling, being led by tyrants who were burning Christians and all kinds of stuff. They lived where we're headed. So the question again comes to us. Are we prepared? Are we sound in the faith? Are we sound in God's word? Are we going to, no matter what goes on around us, are we going to look at God's word and say, I must be obedient to God? It's easy to say, brother. It's another thing when they're coming for you and coming for your children and coming for the church and coming, 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 like we've heard in church history. When they're marching you to the fire, <laughs> that's when the, really the tire will meet the road. And The free church in America is coming to an end. I hope you know that. Unless God sends a revival in that church. You notice now, look, I know I got to stop. <clears throat> Again, COVID-19. Let me just bring something political up because I like to do that. COVID-19, brethren, think of this for a moment. Where did most of the persecution come from when those of us who said, wait a minute, something's not right here. Why is it, said to Wendy last night, why is it that all the churches are supposed to be closed down but the pornography shops are open. The baby killing mills are open. All the alcohol shops are open. Everybody's still going except they want us to stop and gather where we're supposed to, like we're going to a moment here, gather around the Lord's table to hear the God's word preached, to sing hymns unto God. They want that to stop. But every other evil thing keeps rolling. Oh, no, brethren. That was an evil ploy by the devil himself. Oh, yes, it was. And brethren, think of this for a moment. You know where most of the persecution came from? You're thinking to yourself, where did it, most of it come from? Most of it in the complaining, you know where it came from? Not really the government. John MacArthur showed the government where to get off. You know where it came from? It came from the so-called, quote-unquote, churches. Remember they were quoting that verse? Well, love your neighbor. Don't you love your neighbor? Uh, yeah, I love my neighbor, but I love Christ more. I'm going to gather with Christ more. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to be with his people. Of course I love my neighbor. Stop misquoting the Bible, evil men and women. But that's where it came from. It came from the, the liberal churches. Not so much the government a little, but we were, brethren, you remember this. We were, what, pigeonholed into a corner saying we don't love our brother. Nothing could be further from the truth. We love the one who sticketh closer than a brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we love the most. Amen? Wow, what a, what a stunning thing that we have, we have stumbled into. Brother, let me close with this. Instead of giving the Jews and the Greeks 
what they wanted. What they demanded was men's wisdom. That's not what God gave them, and he's not, not what he gave us. He gave them a crucified and risen Christ, which is the testimony of God. Again, this is where it is. Now, let me just close quickly as I started. Again, so we can grab hold of the severity, how far we've fallen. You remember I quoted George Washington. Remember? Amen. I quoted Thomas Jefferson. Listen carefully to John Witherspoon. Again, just so you can understand how far we've really fallen. John Witherspoon said this, I shall now conclude my discourse by preaching this Savior to all who will hear me. You know where he was at when he was saying this? <laughs> it's the place where little Nadler, you know, little Nadler there, that little short, sawed-off guy, just told us all when, uh, when, when somebody asked him about God having business in the house, in our house, in our, in our Senate, in our house, Nadler told him, God has no business in this house. You want to know where Witherspoon was at? He was addressing the Congress, and this is what he said. And entreating you in the most earnest manner to believe in Jesus Christ, for there is salvation in any other. If you are not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, if you are not clothed in the spotless robe of his righteousness, you must forever perish. Daniel Webster said this, If the power of the gospel is not felt throughout the length and breadth of our land, anarchy, misrule, degradation, misery, corruption, and darkness will what? Rule and reign without mitigation. Brethren, look what's happened. How we have fallen. He also said this, children and parents who have generational things to worry about. As you get older, when you get old like me, you start worrying more about generational things. It's not just you anymore. It's your grandkids, it's your young children that you have. You start thinking about these things more. Listen to what <coughs> he said. Daniel Webster said this, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. Listen, but if we or our posterity, in other words, children, you coming behind your parents and then your children coming behind the posterity, listen to what he says. But if we... Uh, or the prosperity, neglect its instructions and authority. No man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury us into profound obscurity. Think of that, brethren. How far we have fallen. Let me close. Let me just close with this percentage. This will tell you where we're at. And then I'm, I'm, I keep saying I'm finished, but I am. Listen to this. Ken Ham recently had this on his on his show, and it's talking about regular people who regularly attend a fellowship, regularly attend a church body on a regular basis, Sunday and Wednesday and those sorts of things. Listen to this. See if you see a pattern. The greatest generation, which was born before 1928, they, at 56%, attended regularly a Bible-believing church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening a lot of times, and Wednesday evening. 56% of the greatest generation, 56. Listen, the silent born, who were born between 1928 and 1945, it dropped all the way down to 44%, brethren. The baby boomers, of whom I am part of, the baby boomers, born between 1946 and 1964, that dropped all the way down to 32%. 
Do you see a pattern? Do you see what's happening here? See, we think this just started yesterday. We think what we're seeing now in our world just started yesterday. It did not start yesterday. This has been a slow burn. This thing has been infecting the church. It's been infecting our world. It's been infecting everything for a long, long time. We're just now really starting to see the generations who have completely turned away from God. Completely. Listen, now the Gen Xers, 1965 to 1980, 27% regularly attend a church fellowship somewhere. Think of this now. The millennials, 1981 and later, 18%. Gen Z, <laughs> Gen Z, we got some Gen Z's floating around here. Gen Z's, brethren, listen, it's less than 15%. It just continues. Do you see, brethren, why it's so important in our text? Why it's so important to see what our founding fathers, who weren't prophets nor sons of prophets, but knew that if you, de if you deviated from biblical truths, this is what's going to happen. This is what's happened. And we as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we want to raise up our children. It's good to see so many children here without their parents. That tells you something. It tells you something, brother, and it really does. When the children are coming without their parents, it means something's been transferred to them, and that's what must take place. It can't be my faith. My children are not saved based on my faith. They're not going to be in church and, and serving the Lord because of my faith. It must become their faith. It must be something that God gives on to them. And brethren, listen, you are going to need it more than you can even begin to imagine. Even begin to imagine if the Lord doesn't intervene, if he doesn't send a revival. What we're seeing today is going to be 20 times worse. Howard, what did we say the other day? In five years, look how it's changed. In just five years. Two. The next five years. If God does not intervene, if we don't ask God to send a revival in our own hearts, because revivals start here, not out there. It starts with his people. Amen? If judgment begins with the house of God, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If revival has to start in our own hearts, and in our own homes, in our own families, raising up our children, raising them up to be God-fearing, God-loving children. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray together. Father, we, we come before you this morning thanking you for your wisdom, thanking you for your love and your grace. And fathers, we have considered just very briefly this very deep text. We see your wisdom in it. We see the complete opposite, and that's men's wisdom there. It, your wisdom to them is foolishness and we never really got to define that 